0: Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Well, it's good to see you. I think you've noticed that we're starting off a, a brand new season. You know, we have two seasons in the calendar year. We have the season that begins new, January 1st. That's the real one that everyone celebrates. Then we made up our own, and that's in September. The taco feed is the sign that we're back. And so we do that because during the summer, we like to give opportunity for those that volunteer here, for you, just to feel free to go away and rest. Uh, relax, uh, be restored, and then we come back in the fall and we get an opportunity to celebrate together. So all the things that you see in the calendar, in your bulletin, it is a lot, but we're starting back up and uh, and, and we celebrate that. It's a good thing. I just wanted to let everyone know that we've had a, a dear friend, a loved one, who we deeply appreciate here at our church and, and really our staff does, and that's Bobby Breedlove, has gone on to be with Jesus uh, yesterday. Uh, and we're, we're, uh, our hearts are, are saddened by uh, the loss. We know she's in such a better place. In fact, uh, she's a lot happier than we are right now. And uh, that's what I know for sure about Bobby. And so we send our love. Our condolences, our comfort to the Breedlove family. Uh, We do love you guys, kids and grandkids and family. Uh, Bobby was such a part of who we are. Uh, She started volunteering in our office about 20 years ago, I think. And uh, she just was one of those people that just kept going. And when I heard the news late last night, the first thing I thought of was... A saint has gone to be with Jesus because uh, she really and truly is. And she's recognized that. And I know what she's heard. She's heard Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, I'm so, so happy for that. And uh, so we we just want to continue to pray for the family, if you would do that. Again, it's so good to see all of you. It's good for us to be together. And, uh, and the reason today is so important to me is because today I'm going to approach our study from a, a different angle. Uh, it's an angle that has more to do with me than it really has to do with you. Uh, and here's what I mean. For almost 23 years, uh, at this time we celebrated our 23rd anniversary here at New Life last weekend, I, I've been under strict orders from the Holy Spirit to write out my weekend sermons pretty much word for word. Word. And so when you get a hold of my sermon manuscript or anything, you'll look at it and say, that's pretty old-fashioned. There are 10 pages of, of notes. And it's because God has put that burden on my heart. He's given me that instruction. And I know there are a few reasons why. And I want to tell you what those reasons are. Number one, early on in my pastorate here, I was a Bible slinger. Uh, it's kind of like a gunslinger, but only with a Bible. I, uh, I was more impromptu. I was more impulsive. I was less thoughtful than I really needed to be. I needed to be disciplined in the word because I wasn't. I had a Bible degree, but I needed to become a Bible student. And uh, someone who is deeply and seriously in love with the word of God. And I can say today that those things are happening in my life. I can't say I'm there, but I can say... I'm on a wonderful journey where I recognize the incredible value and the importance of God's word in your life and mine because there's change. There's transformation that happens. I want you to know that every week before we get together like this, the change begins in my life. The conviction starts with me. All of those things happen because of the word of God and I'm so thankful for the word of God today. And I want to pass that on to you. I hope that as you go along this journey of life, you become a lover of God's word. Because that leads you to knowing who God is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I needed that in my life. I still need that in my life. I also needed to realize that it wasn't just others that needed change in their lives. Isn't that interesting? It was me. Yeah, when you you think that everyone around you needs to change, you probably should take a little time and look at yourself because that's what happens. And over time, because of the the, the mandate that God put on my life, uh, there has been change, hopefully not only in you, but there's been change in me as well. You see, God placed me in this call or this vocation to go about that change in my life, that he's using this call and vocation to change me. And I think there's something funny about all this. There's something pretty humorous about all this. Most of you just go to one service a weekend. I attend three every weekend. And I think God saw fit to do that for me a long time ago from the guy who didn't like church The guy that went to church and wondered why it went two and a half hours, can't you just say what you need to say and sit down? I mean, that's what I would think. I would think, why are we going on so long? And then I get into this position, and God knew a long time ago, and I'm sure he was in heaven going, "Uh, (laughs) you know, this is going to be funny to watch because I'm going to make him go to church three times a weekend. (laughs) And not only am I going to make him do that, the guy needs to do that. He needs to be there. Not only do I need to be here, I want to be here. And there's a few reasons why I want to be here. It isn't all together doing what I'm doing now. This is only a small part of it. The reason I want to be here is because this is a place I can experience the corporate presence of God. This is the place that I have fellowship with you. That's what I love to do more than anything else. Is I love to be in the presence of God with you. And that's why I'm here at church. So what used to be a mandate has become a blessing in my life, that we just get to hang out together, that we are able to spend time together. You know, there have been a few times I've complained about this mandate. There have been a few times i said, God, I mean, can you let me out from under this? I mean, I'm writing this every, every week, word for word. But each time I complained, I could hear the Lord say something to this effect. He would say, hey, just think about it, Ron. You get to write a book report on me every week. And he's so right. He is so, so right. I get to. It really is a privilege. It's an honor for me to be able to sit down and say, Lord, what do you have? What are you thinking about? What do you want me to say? Are there good things here that we can talk about? But today, for the first time in many, many years, he's asked me to take a different approach. My notes are only half of what they usually are. And honestly, I can say this, I'm a bit uncomfortable. And uncomfortable seems to be the word of the season for me. Just putting me in places where I'm uncomfortable. I don't like that. I get stretched there, and and here's where I'm uncomfortable. Here's where I know God is stretching me. Number one is this, God is asking me to listen longer. I have ADD, I I, I really, I'm short, I have a short attention span. And oftentimes what I'll do is when I'm in conversations with people, I'll see where it's going and I'll get there before they do. I'll actually get to the punchline before they're able to get there. And the Lord says, would you stop doing that? And would you just go on the journey with these people? And I thought, wow, I I need to do something. I need to be uncomfortable and do that. I'm convicted every time I watch that Klondike commercial. Really, it convicts me to my core. It's the guy who's sitting there listening to his wife and the clock's ticking. Five, four, three, two, one. Yahoo! You know, I don't advise that for any of us. And I certainly wouldn't do that to my wife. But I think there are times that we can lose focus. We can forget what this is really all about. Listening longer is something that God has asked me to do. I'm uncomfortable in this way as well. The Lord said you need to be okay with silence. Even if it's awkward. You know there are conversations that you get into. And there's those awkward moments of silence. And I have this impression impulsive nature to try to fill in the silence, you know, so everyone feels better, mostly me, so I'm not uncomfortable. And the Lord said, would you just let the silence be and let me speak because I have better things to say than you do. The other place that I feel uncomfortable and stretched is the Lord's asked me to follow in a conversation and not lead it. You know, there's something about control freaks that like to Guide the conversation to get the outcome that they desire. Control freaks, say yay. "Yay." Come on, there's more of you than that. (laughs) You guys guys are in denial. We'll talk about that later, man. How many know what I'm talking about? Say "I." There we go. You just want to be in charge. You just want everything to go your way. And the Lord said, why don't you just enter relationship and conversation and let me lead it. You follow. Let someone else lead it. You follow. I'm not used to following. I'm used to leading. And then we come to today. Today's different. The Lord said, don't have the message all written out. Just open your mouth and Speak. You have no overheads today, and if you looked at your bulletin, you'll find that there are no outlines there. Just go ahead and look at that for a second and confirm it. I think I'm right. There's no outline there. They're just a bunch of lines. This is what I want you to do with those lines, and please hear me. I want you to write down whatever God tells you to write down. Whatever God says to you today, please, just write it down. And I know that you're going to be blessed by that. And so here we go. I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 11. And we're going to start reading at the first verse. We're going to just go through this passage of Scripture. I don't know how long it's going to take for us to get through John 11, but we'll take a good run at it. We're going to take our time. And I want to start right here in John chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I want to stop right there. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were very dear friends, very close friends of Jesus Christ. In fact, they would get together and Jesus would come from the the Galilee region where he would live in the north and he would come south and that's the place he would stop. He would stop in Bethany and he would be refreshed there. He would spend time with the people that he deeply loved. Now, Bethany is about a, a, a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem, about southeast of Jerusalem. It's, in fact, on the east side of a range called the Mount of Olives. That's right. It's a range. It's not just one mountain, it's a range. And so they, they would be there in this town. It was like a suburb of Jerusalem. And, and he would go there and he would spend time. And, and, and this is where he would spend time with his good friends. There's something you need to know. I thought it was kind of prophetic to know that Bethany means the house of the suffering. Now, commentaries have messed with it just a little bit because I think they're uncomfortable calling something that Jesus spent a lot of time in as a place of suffering. And so they've tried to tweak it a little bit, but it only comes out one way. It is the house of the sufferings or the house of the misery. That's really what Bethany means. And when you read the Bible, anything that has a Beth in front of it just means the house. So Bethlehem is the house of bread. Bethany is the house of the sufferings. And I realize that's prophetic because when relationships are forged in the arena of suffering, it makes for long-lasting friendships. Just think about it. Jesus was going to this place. He felt secure enough. He felt open enough to talk about the suffering that he would go through. And these were the people that would listen. These were the dear friends that would hear what he would say and they knew how to respond to our Lord. You know, you have places like that. Just think about where you're forged out, where friendships happen in your life. I think about the, the, the pressure cooker of college sometimes when you're trying to get exams done. You're trying to study some of the friendships that are forged out in that arena. And then you think about the job situation. And there are people there, especially when you get into difficult circumstances, you forge out relationships there as well. And then when you really do suffer. You find out where your friends are. You find out how deep that relationship goes because you've let them in on that suffering or they've let you in on their suffering. And what happens is there's friendships for life. There's such a wonderful affinity that happens in the arena of suffering. It's not a fun place to be. It's not a nice place to be. To be quite honest with you, if you're going to give me a choice to go to the town called the house of bread or the town of the sufferings, I will go to the town of the bread. I don't want to have anything to do with suffering. But the Bible says that Jesus was a suffering servant. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, there's a list of qualities and characteristics that are made in us, developed in us, that really reflect the qualities and characteristics of Christ. But if you look where it starts in Romans 5, 3, it starts with one thing and then the dominoes fall. It starts with suffering. It says that suffering starts and then perseverance and then on and on and on until you're forged in the image of Jesus Christ. You know, I hate suffering. I hate it in the sense that it it hurts and it brings pain, but I love suffering in the fact of what it can produce in our lives. And that's what you see here in this story. Now, here's something really interesting to me. You look at what else is said. John tells us that Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. It's interesting where this is placed. This is in chapter 11, but the event doesn't really take place till chapter 12. Chronologically, it's switched around. It's out of order. Someone said, well, why is that? My answer, I have no idea. The the only thing that comes to my mind is this. When Mary performed this wonderful act of love, Jesus looked at her and said, you will be known through the ages for what you've done. And I think John mentions it here for that reason. And guess what? You're listening and hearing this 2,000 years later. God is faithful with what he says. It's in verse 3 that I've thought quite a bit about. Verse 3 that has taken a lot of my time And I want to tell you why, and I'm going to let you listen to it again. It says, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I want to repeat that last phrase. Lord, the one you love is sick. When you look at that and think about it, this is really a prayer. It's two sisters who have lost and are losing a brother a brother in the Lord, and they're saying, Lord, the one that you love is sick. It's a prayer. And when you look at it as a prayer, you recognize that there are probably three ways or three kinds of prayers that this really is and can be. The first is this is a prayer petition. But I want you to notice something this is a prayer petition that is probably one of the purest prayers that I've ever heard prayed. And I didn't realize it. I've read this so many times, and I recognize how pure is this prayer. Lord, the one you love is sick. This is a prayer where there's no strings attached. This is a prayer that is coming from a heart of surrender and total trust in Jesus Christ because there's nothing added to the prayer. It is, Lord, the one you love is sick, period. Why is that so unusual? It's unusual because I rarely pray that way. It's unusual because I'm guessing that there are very, very few people in here that pray this way. And I'll tell you why. Because we want to pray in such a way that controls. We pray like this. Lord, the one that you love is sick, so get here right now. Condition. Lord, the one you love is sick, so when are you going to be here? Can you tell me? Can you let me know? There are conditions. We attach conditions to our prayers. And this is how we do it. We say, Lord, the one you love is sick. This is a prayer, and we pray this in such a way that controls the way things happen. Lord, I I would really like you to work this way in my life You know, the one you love is sick and my bank account only has one dollar in it so could you do something I'd like you to do right now? Please put a million dollars in my account so I feel better. (laughs) Lord, the one you love is sick so I need you to do things this way, this way, this way, and this way and this would really fit into my schedule if you were so kind to accommodate me. So when we pray the control we put on it is the way things happen. And secondly, when we pray, the control we put on it is the timing in which things happen. Lord, I need you to do this right now. And if you don't do it right now, I'm going to just assume you don't love me. I'm just going to assume you really don't care about this circumstance. Lord, you see how desperate I am? You see how long this has gone on? So Lord, come right now, right now. Where are you? Why haven't you come? I'm feeling bad right now. God, maybe there really isn't a God. We not only pray to control the way things happen and the timing of things, but we'll also pray to control the outcome. God, I want you to do this. This is the outcome I want I want it to be this way. And I'd appreciate it if you would just get this done. Because I know this is the best way to work it out. Now, I I don't know what you're thinking, but I pray all three ways. Some of you may be a little better and only pray one or two of those ways. But I pray all three of these things. Because I want to control the way things happen. I want to control the timing. I want to control the outcome. Mary and Martha did not do any of that. It was a surrender to the Lord. And this is what they said Lord, the one you love is sick. Would you say that with me? Lord, the one you love is sick. Say it one more time. Lord, the one you love is sick. I looked at this and I recognized it's not only a prayer petition. But this is a prayer of intercession. And it's interesting because these sisters love Lazarus. They loved him with everything that they could love him. They loved him and they saw him and they knew he was sick. And so they stood between him and Jesus and they said, we want to intercede for him. Lord, the one you love is sick. I think all of us can identify with that. You all have loved ones that you've stood in the gap. You've all had loved ones that you've interceded for. And you looked at them and you said, Lord, I love this son. Lord, I love this daughter. I love this husband. I love this wife. Lord, the one you love is so sick. They used to go to church. They used to be involved with things. They they used to follow you. But today, oh God, the one you love is so sick. Lord, the one that you love is sick in their mind. The decisions they're making aren't good decisions. They're bad choices. They, they, they really don't honor you, but they're sick in their mind. They're having a hard time thinking, God, the one you love is so sick in their mind. Lord, the one you love is sick emotionally. They're all turned up inside. You know, they, they just haven't forgiven. They're just bitter. They're just bursting with anger or hatred. Lord, I don't know why, but the one you love is emotionally sick. God, help them. You may even pray this way. Lord, the one you love is physically sick. They're they're racked with pain. Their body doesn't do what it used to do. They're hurting, Lord. God, help them. I I hate to see them hurt so much. I love them. God, the, the, the one you love is physically sick. God knows that because God loves them as well. In fact, God loves them more than you do. As impossible as that may sound, it's absolutely true. You see, this is a prayer of intercession. Would you say that with me? Lord, the one you love is sick. Who did you think about? Did you think about that lost child? Did you think about your husband? Did you think about your wife? Did you think about your friend? Say it one more time and think about them. Lord, the one you love is sick. (laughs) He's acting right now. You have interceded for the one that you love, just like Mary and Martha did. That's what they were doing. And then there's a a third way that you can pray this prayer. It may be the most difficult way to pray the prayer, in fact. Because this can be a prayer of confession. That means you're sick. But have you confessed that? Have you told the Lord lately that you're sick? That you need help? Or are you in denial? Are you looking around and you're saying, wow, look at all these sick people around me. Well, let me tell you something. If there are a hundred people in the room and you're the only healthy one, you are in denial. <laughs> because guess what? You're sick and you're going to be somewhat sick until Jesus comes again. And we all are perfect then. You see, we can walk around and we get used to doing this but because that's who we are. We just pray for those that are sick. But it's not me. I'm not sick. Listen, you're as sick as the day is long. And until you come to that place and you confess that you're sick, you'll keep shoving it down. You'll keep shoving it in. You'll keep harboring it up until you come and there's a breaking in your life. And you say, God, Lord, the one you love is so sick. Help me. You can be sick because of your past. You could be sick because of something that happened to you when you were a child. You could be sick because of tragedy. There's a lot of reasons we're sick. But do we confess that sickness? Do we say, Lord, the one you love is sick. I need you to heal me. Because when you do that, what happens is there's restoration that begins to take place in your life. We don't practice confession because our problems are a result of someone else's actions. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the reason you don't confess that you're sick? You don't confess that you're sick because you justify what made you hurt what made you sick we say something like this Lord I'm sick because of my past Lord I'm sick because of my environment Lord I'm sick because of my parents Lord I'm sick because of this relationship And what we fail to do when we say things like that is we see that everyone else is sick and we justify the reason we're sick, but we never come to the place that 1 John 1, 9 tells us to come to and that is confess your faults and he will be able to forgive you of all of your faults, all of your unrighteousness when you come to him and you practice confession. When should we confess? We should confess every single day that we wake up. But it's not in our routine. It's not on our agenda. It's not in our calendar. It's not something the TV tells us to do. It's not something we hear. But we've lost something and we've become very sick people because we haven't gone to God and said, Lord, the one you love is really sick. God says, confess that. When Mary and Martha were saying this, they were really making a confession. He's sick. We're sick. We need help. Listen, when resentment and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness is turning around in your life, It eats you up from the inside out. And there's that saying when you're bitter towards someone or unforgiving towards someone, it's like you drinking the poison and hope they die. You keep drinking the poison of bitterness. You keep drinking the poison of unforgiveness, of anger, of resentment. And you keep getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And God says, quit drinking that stuff. And then you just keep going glug, 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 glug. The Lord wants to set us free. Freedom begins when you go to him and you say, I'm sick. I'm sick. That's where healing begins. That's where you start to recognize the power, the power of God's healing strength. Would you say this with me? Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, do this. Put your hand over your heart and say it again. Lord, the one you love is sick. <laughs> you just began to experience freedom. Whether you knew it or not, when you make that confession, that's when the light starts to shine. That's when freedom is yours. That's when a door has been opened. When you make that confession, Lord, I'm sick. I read this story. It goes a little further in verses 4 through 6. Listen to what it says. It says, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. When you read this, you have to ask yourself the question, why did he stay there two more days? Lord, what were you thinking? What was going on? And then you realize the answer's right in the text. Go up and you'll figure out why he stayed two more days. There are two reasons. The first is this, and it's found in verse 4. It says that this sickness will not be fatal Because God will be glorified. This sickness had another purpose and it wasn't death. It was to glorify God. That was the reason he allowed his friend to be sick and die. Is because God was going to be glorified. And can you imagine that God can use your suffering? That he can use your sickness so that he would be glorified? That he would trust you with such an intimate thing? Such a painful thing? Sometimes a hurtful thing? He says to you, I trust you with this and I'm going to ask that you go through through this with me so that my father in heaven would be glorified. Wow. God can take a train wreck in your life and be glorified if you come and you confess and you repent. He can make that train wreck look like something like the Taj Mahal. And you get up from that, you're standing on your feet and you're thinking, man, I really messed this up, God. But somehow your grace came in and you restored this whole thing. You know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be weak. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. It's saying, Lord, I recognize that. Let your name be glorified somehow. Let your name be glorified through all of this. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, God, the Father in heaven will be glorified. And the second reason that Jesus waited two more days is found in verse 5. It says Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I love what it says here. It says that the love of Jesus for his people is deeper than anything you can ever imagine. It's deeper than anything you can imagine in your own love. Now here's the odd sounding statement. Jesus allowed Lazarus to die because he loved him? That, that's in our mind like, wow, that, that's going in a different direction. He loved him, so he allowed him to die. And Jesus steps in and says, yes. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not motivated by sentiment. And here's what I fear has happened to us. I fear that we've defined love as something that's really of sentiment. That we see them as the same. And they're not the same. We often operate out of sentiment. We don't operate out of love. You know what sentiment would have said to Jesus right here? It would have said, pack your bags right now. You get to Bethany as fast as you can. You have people that love you. That have put you up in their home. That have treated you right. You get there as fast as you can. That's what sentiment would tell you to do. But love says... Wait two more days. That's true love. You know what sentiment does? Human sentiment? It spoils us. It gives us what we want right now. Human sentiment is really what spoils your kids. I know. I'm a grandpa. Wow. Friday night, Ellen Jack spent the night, and I got out of bed early in the morning, went down, sat my place and just read the bible for a little bit and pretty soon i heard the pitter patter of little feet and i looked over my couch and i saw this little blonde head just going like this she came right up she sat next to me looked up at me with those brown eyes and she said papa can i have some hot chocolate now and i said sure whatever you want you're gonna have hot chocolate we'll go get hot chocolate So we walked over, and we started doing the hot chocolate thing. She says, no, that's not how you do it. Grandma does it this way and that way. And I said, okay, you just go ahead, little girl. I don't know what's going on. And she says, and we always put whipped cream in it. And I said, I bet you do. And she goes, I know how to use the whipped cream. And so she stood there on her little stool, and the whipped cream went shh. You know what it was? It was a little hot chocolate with whipped cream is what it was. And she started eating that and she started eating it some more. About a half an hour later, Annette comes down she looks at me and she goes, did you let her have hot chocolate before breakfast? And I went, yes. (laughs) And then Ella looks at her and she says, Grandma, I told him I couldn't have it before breakfast. Man, I got duped. Man, I'm standing out there like a mark. I'm going, are you kidding me? What's happening here? I was just being an innocent grandpa. You know, and I'm looking in those eyes, and all of a sudden, I am duped. I'm sucked in. That girl knows how to suck me in. She does it. I know it. She gets me alone every time, and she pulls the same thing. The problem is, is her grandpa hasn't figured it out yet she was two and a half years old I'm pushing her in a little stroller we're in the group with mom and dad and grandma grandpa. we're all there we're walking down the street she's in the stroller and I'm just having a great time and I get out ahead just a far enough a little far out of earshot of mom and dad she knows where we are and I'm pushing her and she's looking around like this I am mean, guys I see her where are they oh they're not here she looks at me she goes papa, papa yeah she goes buy me a dress I said, okay, let's look for a dress shop. We'll find a dress shop. That's sentiment. And that's why the Bible doesn't say we have a grandfather in heaven. It says we have a father in heaven. (laughs) Fathers love us. It says here that this happened in their life to give God glory and because Jesus deeply loved these people. Could it be that God is using your difficulties right now? That he's using your circumstances right now to be a witness and to glorify him. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but I I think that's what the Lord's up to. I really do. It's hard for us to make those confessions, isn't it? Going back. It's hard for us to just say, yeah, I'm sick. I need help. You know who really struggles with that confession? The fixers. That's the person who everyone else counts on. They count on that person to be strong. They count on that person to fix fix things. It's the fixers that have a difficult time saying, Lord, the one you love is sick because you're fixing everyone else you're taking care of everyone else and oh my lord what would happen if you weren't there to fix them clue they probably get better but you can't help it you are a fixer you are who you are and you have a hard time recognizing because you keep running and doing what you're supposed to do and taking care of all those needs and you say well if I wasn't here who's going to do it And you have a hard time saying, Lord, I need to take a break. I need to get off this fast road, and I need to say, Lord, the one that you love is so sick. Does that sound familiar? There are moms that are here that are fixers. There are dads that are here that are fixers. You know, there are even professions that lend themselves to being fixers. Hey, you police guys, you know what I'm talking about. Fire people. Leave out one, but I'm not going to. Pastors. We're fixers. I want everybody to be fixed. And the Lord says, "Take time. make the confession. I think there's another group that have a hard time confessing this and that's the person who sees their problems. They see their pain and they say, it is what it is. Hey, no sense in crying over spilled milk. It happened a long time ago. There's nothing wrong with me. Oh yeah. Whatever happened a long time ago in your mind, if you're going to be honest, happened yesterday. But you want to say that it is what it is. It's just water under the bridge. It just spilt milk. And the more you say that, the longer you say that, you keep stuffing it in, the sicker you get. Somewhere the Lord says, you need to confess this. And then there are these people. My granddaughter, when she runs down a sidewalk, she falls and she jumps up and says, oops, I'm okay. I'm okay. It was like a landing in a, in a, in a gymnastic thing, you know. Boom, boom, I'm okay. When she really gets hurt, she lets you know. But I think there are people here that when they run, when they take on that journey of life, they fall and they really hurt themselves. And still they jump up and say, oops, I'm okay. I'll be okay. I'm going to shake it off. Both your legs are gone. And you're going to say you're going to shake it off. The Lord says to come to him. You are weary. You are a burden. And bring, confess to him. And he'll make that burden light for you. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to ask that you do that. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward and for our prayer teams, our care teams, if you can make yourself ready as well. I'll tell you what we're going to do right now. I'm going to pray. After I'm done praying, I'm just going to ask that all of us stand up. and As we stand up and even as we sing this song together, you would make your way and receive prayer for someone in this room. Maybe you need to go and you need to confess, Lord, the one you love is sick and it's me. Maybe you're interceding for someone who's sick. I would just say this, if you are, make sure you confess your own sickness as well. But that you would join with someone and pray. And let the Lord begin that healing process in your life. Friends, we need to be healed today. Are we anemic? Have we lost the strength and power that God wants to bring to us? because we haven't confessed? Confession, I think, is that open door to the work of God's Holy Spirit. And he wants to work in your life. I know that for sure. Father, we come to you and we, I, confess that the one you love is sick. I need your help. Lord, I'm not praying in a way that would determine an outcome. I'm not praying in a way that tells you how to do things. I'm not praying in a way that dictates timing. I want to leave it at that. The one you love is sick. Lord, I surrender and I trust in the timing, in the way, and in the outcome of your gracious hand because you've never, ever let any of us down And that whatever we're walking through right now, however difficult it is, when we follow you and we trust in you, it will give you glory. And it's happening because you deeply love us. So we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say amen and amen.